Father, we thank you for all your goodness and grace. Uh, we thank you for your mercy shown towards us. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus as he uh, has worked for us and continues to work and intercede for us. And uh, today, as we continue to make our way through Acts, we pray that you'd give us understanding of the things that you have revealed to us and preserved for us uh, so that we can have hope. And we give all these things to you and ask all these things for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen. All right, y'all, in your notes today, uh, you can keep that map out because we're actually going to talk about that, those a little bit today. Um, in your notes, we're on page 51. <coughs> Excuse me. We're right in the middle of chapter 11. And last week, we focused primarily on Peter being sent to Cornelius' house. Cornelius being a, a Gentile, um, not part of the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so uh, the Lord opened up the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, right? All the other nations, all the other families of the earth that weren't descended from Jacob. And that's going to be a major issue going forward in the book of Acts. We're going to, as we get on over into Paul's missionary journeys and the things that happen there, some questions are going to come up. Some controversies are going to come up. So we're, we're going to come back to uh, talk about the ramifications of what happened in chapter 11. And all of that begins to happen in what we're going to get into today. Middle of chapter 11, page 51. Uh, you can see at the very top of the page in my outline, the good news heads to the ends of the earth. And so here we begin with the um, so-called missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and uh, Timothy and all the others that, that we uh, know about and familiar with. And so we're just going to pick up right there. Um, 11, 19, top of page 51. Uh, it says, uh, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except the Jews. Uh, now, look at that. You need to underline that. Speaking the message to no one except the Jews. So, you know, this is at a time uh, before the message has been opened up to the nations, to all the other families of the earth. And so, uh, as you know, in these early days, after the scattering because of the persecution, they have spread out. And if you remember, we read that back in, uh, 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 back in chapter 8. The very beginning, uh, after Stephen is stoned, it says, On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So all these uh, early believers have been scattered, and they're preaching the gospel as they go, but they're only doing it to the Jews. And so verse 20, it says, But there were some of them, uh, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And of course, the Hellenists are the uh, Hellenistic Jews uh, at this point. Uh, the Jews, you know, that had not grown up in Israel speaking Aramaic or Hebrew. They would have grown up speaking Greek uh, in their, in their homelands uh, that are not part of Israel. 1121, it says, And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Uh, then the report about them was heard uh, by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Um, so here comes, remember, Bar we've already seen Barnabas once before. Uh, Barnabas is from Cyprus. He is fairly well-to-do, apparently. He was able to sell portions of land, excess land that he had to help deal with the poor, if you remember that. Um, you know, his name uh, means son of encouragement, and that's what he's doing here uh, with, the, with these early disciples at Antioch. Uh, they've gone up, they've, they've preached the message. Uh, in fact, just so you can see what's happening, we can see this on uh, the map that I gave you today. If you, if you take out the map, Paul's, Paul's journeys, there's four maps on the front and the back of this page. And if you just look at that first one, uh, the first one's related to the first missionary journey. And we're going we're gonna to read a good deal of this today in class. But as you can see, if you look at that map uh, over on the right hand side, you look down at the bottom and you can see Jerusalem and Caesarea. You see that down there? You, you're familiar with where that is? Dead Sea out to the right of that. You're going up a little ways. There's the Sea of Galilee. And if you follow on up the coast there, right, you go past Syria and uh, up at the top, very top of that, um, you know, the little part that's still connected to the uh, Mediterranean Sea, you have Antioch and Seleucia. Y'all see that there? That's where uh, these things are taking place in that Antioch. And that's, that's important because if you look over to the left just a little bit, you can see all those arrows point to another Antioch. And um, that is Pisidian Antioch. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So there's two different Antiochs in Acts. And the one that we're talking about now is the one that's still over there uh, on the coast uh, up in uh, Syria, uh, north of Israel. And you can see where that is. So you can see how far they've already spread from Jerusalem up to Antioch. I mean, that, that's a pretty good distance. And they've been up preaching the gospel. Many are coming to the faith. Um, there, uh, 1121 says, the Lord's hand was with them. That means uh, probably that the Lord is displaying his power. Uh, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the Lord would talk about things that he did with his hands or his arms. You know, one of the most famous examples is when he's talking to Israel about redeeming them out of Egypt. And he said, I did it with an outstretched arm. You remember, you remember that? And, and what that meant is, man, I'm applying all of my power to this thing here, right? Uh, and that's the idea here. The Lord... Uh, is, is working powerfully within these people. And we've already seen those, you know, the healings and um, all the things that have happened that give evidence to the reality of the gospel as the Lord works his power in and through those people. And so uh, up there, uh, Barnabas goes up from Jerusalem, which is very interesting. Notice they, the, the report comes to Jerusalem and they send Barnabas. They don't send one of the apostles. They send Barnabas up, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, of course, that's about to set us up for what's about to happen here, which is really significant. Um, but he, he goes up and he, can, he encourages them and tells them to keep on doing what they're doing. You know, and, and probably part of the reason that, that an apostle doesn't go up is that nothing new is really happening in terms of these are just Jews preaching to Jews. Uh, you know, we, we haven't gotten uh, to the point of uh, Paul, uh, Peter opening the door to the uh, nations, uh, at least at where we have had that in Acts, but this is taking some steps back. Do you follow what I'm saying? To fill in the gaps 
about some things that happened to get us uh, back to that point in this other geographic uh, location in Antioch. So uh, that introduces us to, um, to this area. Um, Antioch, you know, that's not something we think about often, but in the, in the first century, uh, Antioch was one of the three most important cities that the Romans, uh, several of the Roman writers talked about. Uh, and they said that at this time, uh, the, the most important cities in the Roman Empire here in this area of the Mediterranean Sea was Rome, of course, being number one. Alexandria was second. And y'all remember Alexandria in North Africa, where the great library was, if you remember that, that burned. And we lost almost all ancient knowledge when that happened. Um, terrible thing. And then the third was Antioch. Because uh, as you see, uh, if you see where it's located, Antioch is a major port city that connected that section of the Roman Empire to the Far East. So if you were going to go from Rome and go back over into, you know, what, you know, Syria, modern day Iraq, Iran, which was, you know, the remnants of the old Babylonian Empire, Persian empires, you would come across and you'd most likely go through Antioch. So it was, it, was a, it was a real metropolitan city, you know, for the first century. I uh, had a huge population, you know. Uh, Rome, uh, Rome in the first century, I, I remember reading this years ago and it blew my mind. Rome in the first century, they think uh, it was the largest city in the area at the time. In fact, probably on the European continent, clearly. And Rome had, I think, 1.5 million people in it in the first century. There would not be another city that large in Europe for another thousand years. You know, that, that puts things in real perspective about how few people there were and, you know, the, the size of these cities. Uh, so, so Antioch was, I think uh, Antioch was, along with Alexandria, they were fairly large cities, like probably half a million people in there, something like that. Uh, and so, you know, this, this becomes... Uh, if you think about it strategically, this becomes a great place. If we're going to move on from Israel, moving on up and out, this becomes a great place to do it. It's one of the major port cities, and that's exactly what's going to happen. So things are kind of being set up for what's going to take place in these next couple of chapters here. Uh, anybody, um, questions or comments on any of that so far? It's interesting that it says many believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, yes, there, there are several. Oh, boy, do I want to get in trouble this early on? Yeah, let me, yeah, let me wait. We're, we're, we're going we're to say some more. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you because y'all going to want to know. Uh, Acts, you know, Acts and in the letters. There are several places where you have indications that people believe the message but they don't commit to the message in other words they believe it's true but not enough to follow that you know and i've had examples of that mind you know i've told you a story about the student that i had that told me after long story short that that um, you know after he had spent a semester we'd gone through the gospel into class he gave me just an incredible gospel presentation and he asked me is this really true and i said yes i believe it's actually true and he said i believe what you're telling me is true, but I cannot and I will not accept it. And I was like, I, and my first thought was, okay, 
all that money I paid at seminary, I want a little bit back. Because they did not, we never talked about that. You know, because it's like, wait a minute, if you believe, then that's what we're doing, you know. And, and, and all of y'all, all of us probably have a similar experience, something like this. I, you know, I say, I, I've believed in Jesus most of my life, but it wasn't until recently that I really trusted him. Right? There's, there's the difference in believing facts and information and trusting him to, you know, follow wherever he leads. And, you know, that, that may be what's going on there. You know, uh, Tom, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say something about it and then it, it slipped my mind. Really interesting statement. A large number believed. Um, some of them turned to the Lord. <laughs> so, and we're, we're going to come back to that idea a couple more, well, a couple more times. There's some interesting things about that. Uh, anybody else? Any questions or comments on that? All right. Uh, bottom page 51. We continue on. Um, 11.25. So Barnabas, then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul. Now, if you remember, the last time we heard anything about Saul was back over on page... Um, where was he? Um, back on page... Uh, what page is that? 45. In chapter 9, uh, you know, right after his conversion, in 9.30... Uh, 928 through 30, right down toward the bottom of the page there. Uh, we, we heard that he went to Jerusalem uh, for a while, and then he uh, conversed with some of the Hellenistic Jews. They tried to kill him, and he left. And then they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So he's been in Tarsus uh, ever since uh, his visit to Jerusalem, uh, back shortly after he was uh, converted. And this is... By the time uh, uh, Barnabas comes to find him, this is roughly 10 years later. And so what he was doing in Tarsus and Cilicia, uh, a lot of scholars refer to it as Paul's 10 silent years. We don't have any idea other than it's clear that he's up there teaching and preaching in, in his home city. His family, uh, his family was from Tarsus. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll have some handouts about him a little bit later with some background on him. Uh, but his family, if you remember, we're going to find out in his letters, his family were tent makers. Um, and that probably implied that they were tent makers for the Roman army because Paul and his family had their Roman citizenship, which was fairly rare for Jewish people to do unless they had some kind of, you know, uh, in and out with, with the Roman uh, government and so forth. So Paul was a Roman citizen. We're going to find that out in Acts later. He's also a Jew. He grew up in Tarsus. Tarsus was also, uh, Tarsus had a, a large, what we would call a university there. It was a, it was a learning city. Uh, but his family apparently sent him to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel when he was very, very, you know, fairly young uh, because he was, you know, Paul's mind. I mean, he is something else. Uh, he is, and we'll, we'll, we'll hear some descriptions of him as we go. Um, so here, Barnabas goes back to find Saul in Tarsus, figure out what he's doing. Uh, 1126, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. Now, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, that's an interesting statement. That, that's a that's a, 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 an important statement. Uh, the word, the Christians here in Greek, and this won't communicate a whole lot to you. It's, it's Christianoi. 
And the anoi end of it means something like uh, we belong to or we're loyal to. And so the, the Christians are those who belong to or who are loyal to Christ. Right. And that's that's what that title means there. Uh, earlier, you know, we've had the, the disciples referred to as the church. You know, we've heard that a couple of times now. The, you know, the men and women who are in the church, we've heard them referred to as the way, you know, the followers of the way. And now we have this. This is the first place they were called Christians. Uh, those who um, those who are followers of Jesus, those who adhere to the teachings of Jesus. And so uh, th that's an interesting thing, because. Uh, in Greek, whenever you're referring to people or place names, sometimes the endings point to the fact that this is an ethnic group, right? So this is a certain group of people. But because they use this ending with the Christians, it means this is not an ethnic group. This is more like a social group, that, that the thing that binds them together is their loyalty to Jesus. You, f you follow what I'm saying? And so uh, already, you know, we're, we're getting into these ideas that are being filled out that we've seen earlier, that this, that this movement, that's Christianity, it's going to welcome all different kinds of people in, right? We've already had that with the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip preached to. And this man who could not become a convert to Judaism because, right, he, he was, he, the law prohibited it. He is welcome with open arms uh, to become a, a follower of Jesus. And so we're, we're seeing these ideas start to balloon out at this point. Uh, and here, so they are first called, well, you know, these are the people who belong to Christ. And then 27, it just uh, continues on. It says, in those days, um, in fact, this, this is one of those places where probably 1127 ought to start a new paragraph. Uh, 1125 and 26 seems to go better with the part before it. But, you know, it's no, it's no big deal. Uh, but it seems like this starts a, a new, new thought. It says, now in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, we're going to see him um, now and then a little bit later again. He stood up and, pre and he predicted by the spirit that there would be a, a, a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each, each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. Uh, they did this, sending it to the elders by the means of Barnabas and Saul. So here, um, Agabus comes, he predicts this famine that's going to take place, and it actually happens. And as it happens, uh, they send relief down to the brothers and sisters in Judea because, you know, the early church that's around Ju Ju uh, Jerusalem made up primarily of fairly poor people. You know, we're, and we're going we're to hear more about that as we go. Paul talks about it in several of his letters. In fact, he actually mentions in Galatians 2.10... He actually mentions this episode uh, about he and Barnabas. Or he just mentions himself in Galatians, how they took relief to the poor in Jerusalem. So here, the first thing that they do before they're going to be sent out uh, on their journeys is the church at Antioch. And again, you think about it, this, the church at Antioch, the people that are there, the Jews that are there, they probably have a little bit more means at their disposal. And so they're taking that and they're now supporting the people that are in Judea, just like the early church in Jerusalem did, right? Barnabas was part of that group that sold what they had so they could take care of the poor. And so this, this would have been, a, um, you know, this would have been a big deal that Luke is communicating about what the early believers were like. These are people who take care of the poor in their community, right? 
uh, to an extravagant ex extent, as we're going to see as we go along. Well, we've already seen part of it earlier. Um, so that, that's, a, you know, that's a really important point that he makes all throughout the book of Acts, are how you know, the Christians are the ones that are taking care of one another here. And, um, Why is it Judea? Is that ancient Judah? Yeah, uh-huh, yes. Yeah, uh, and, it, it, and it becomes, yeah, it becomes Judea later when it's Latinized, Greek, Greekized, <laughs> Hellenized, I guess is what I should say. Yeah, and then it becomes Judea in that time. So it's just a, a change in the uh, pronunciation spelling of it. Uh, also, uh, 1130, uh, notice it says they sent it to the elders. This is the first mention of elders in the church uh, there. And we're, we're not told exactly uh, anything about them, but we're going to see that idea come up uh, in the missionary journeys, and we'll talk about that whenever we get over there. And of course, the elders become a significant part of the early church, and so we'll we'll take a look at that. Uh, this um, this famine that's talked about uh, in your notes on page fifty-two. I've got Barnabas, Saul, Christians, Agabus, um, and Claudius. This famine took took place during the reign of Claudius. That was somewhere around A.D. Uh, 45 through 47, and depending on which person you read, it could have been late 45, early 46 that they think it began. But that whole thing, and I'm not going to go into it a whole lot uh, today, and that's actually mentioned, I mentioned that on your chronology, on page 9, the famine in Judea, uh, 46 through 48, and um, it, it takes place during the reign of Claudius, Claudius is going to be significant again, uh, just a little bit later. Um, of course, Claudius is, is one of the emperors uh, of Rome. And so we'll, uh, we'll talk about him again with some more significant things. Uh, but this, this, uh, this famine takes place because there was a flood of the Nile in Egypt. And, the, and Egypt provided most of the food for the ancient Mediterranean seacoast. And so the flood came, destroyed the crops, and that's what led to the Great Famine. And there are Roman historians that wrote about it, you know, not just Luke here, but actually, you know, extra biblical people that wrote about the, the uh, implications of that flood and how it did bring a famine. Um, and, and it is interesting that, um, you know, given background, the, the, the famine affected the poor more than anybody else. Because the wealthy had the means, they had things stored up and whatever, you know. And so the poor are always the ones that are really hit by the famine. You know, those of you that study Revelation, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, so to speak. When famine comes, who does he hit? He hits the poor, right? Because, you know, don't, don't touch the oil and the wine, but only the stuff that the poor people are going to have, right? That's the way famine works. It, it hits the hits the lowest, po lowest population, you know, down on the social ladder. And so, again, these early believers are being very careful to take care of their people. As you know, they're in very serious uh, circumstances here. Um, any questions or comments on any of that so far? interesting that the prophets came down yeah. from Jerusalem yeah. because they don't think in terms mm -mm. of maps. Yeah, no. They think in terms of elevation and, yeah. Map. You know, yeah. You go down uh -huh. from Memphis yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, no. And, and of course, you know that uh, part of that is because, uh, you know, in Jewish culture, you're always going up to Jerusalem and you're always coming down from because it's the center of the known world, right? It's it's the religious center, you know. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, everybody's always going down to Memphis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
There's no, nobody ever goes up to Memphis. Yeah, we're always going down to Memphis. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I'll say about that. You know. um, Acts 12, bottom page 52. Uh, oh, man, this is, this is, okay, here we go. We get, we're getting into some uh, really interesting stuff, uh, wild stuff happening. So Acts 12, 1, part of, what, um, part, part of what's happening in chapter 12 is, I, I think, Luke is showing how we're now about to shift from the story of Peter, right? Peter has really dominated these first 11 chapters. A lot of the action has happened around Peter in one way or another as the chief apostle. Now, as we're starting to shift, he's going to start to focus on Paul. Uh, we begin with Paul and Barnabas, and then Paul is really going to, uh, the story of Paul is really going to rule the rest of Acts. And so this, this chapter is meant to be a transition from uh, Jerusalem and Peter and all of that on to Paul and the uh, mission out to the Gentiles. So 12, 1 through 25, uh, Luke says this, About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. Uh, that is, James, of course, is one of the apostles. He's one of the 12. This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? John wrote the Gospel of John and the three letters in the book of Revelation. James was his brother. Uh, they were referred to as the, the sons of thunder, right? They were the hell raisers. Uh, they stirred up trouble uh, for Jesus and for everybody else, you know. Um, so James is killed with the sword. Herod has him killed with a sword, which means they cut his head off. That's the idea there. Um, 12.3, uh, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. Uh, unleavened bread, if you remember, is the beginning um, of, a, of, a, of a large festival which starts with Passover. Passover is the first uh, big feast at the beginning of unleavened bread and then unleavened bread will last uh, several days after that. Uh, this is also the time right, in which Jesus was crucified, right, at Passover uh, during those festivals and so forth. So 12.4, it says, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four, squ four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So, right, he doesn't want to do all this at Passover because that'll drive the Jews crazy. So he just puts pre Peter in prison. Um, assigning the four squads with four soldiers each, that was a common thing for the Romans to do. Uh, for, for the night watch uh, so that the soldiers, you would have each of those four taking a turn about three hours apiece. So nobody fell asleep is the idea there. Um, and so Peter was kept in prison, but, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. There, there the believers are mentioned as the church. Really, really interesting. This Herod that's mentioned here, this is Herod, and notice he doesn't have any other name attached. This is Herod, who's also called Agrippa I. We're going to hear about another Agrippa, who's one of the Herods, later, and that's going to be a different one uh, when we get over to the end of Acts. And you'll see why here in just a little bit. But Paul is going to go before that Agrippa. Uh, th this one is different. This is Herod Agrippa I, and he is the grandson of Herod the Great, who is the Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. Right. So when, you know, when he killed the infants, when he killed the children, that's another Herod, too. 
And of course, these Herods are part of a, a larger family line, right? Uh, they, were, um, they had their way in with the Roman authorities and so forth, and they exercised rule and control over Israel um, all the way through the New Testament era. Um, and so here, this is Herod Agrippa. He, this won't mean, well, this may mean something to you, but he, uh, he was schooled uh, in Rome and he was very close friends with uh, Caligula, who becomes the emperor of Rome during this time in the early 40s. Have y'all ever read anything about Caligula? Uh, if you haven't, don't. Uh, man, he is one jacked up dude. I mean, he is, man, you talk about nuts. He is nuts and perverse and everything else. He's one of the worst emperors that, that ever ruled. Um, he, he, he had one of his horses appointed to the Roman Senate. Um, anyway, you know. So in other words, not a whole lot has changed in terms of... Uh, <laughs> leaders have always been crazy, you know, just out of left field nuts. Uh, but he, uh, uh, Herod was also uh, very close friends with Claudius, who is going to become emperor after Caligula and really significant at the end of the 40s. And we'll, we're, again, we'll talk more about him a little bit later with Paul because we're going to run into some things um, that happens there. So uh, we're, going to, we're, we're, going to, we're going to see what happens to him. Some significant things are going to, about to take place with him as we read here. Um, so 12.6, top page 53. This, uh, w- one of the things that, that I've mentioned, and we've looked at a couple of this, uh, a lot of scholars realize that, that some of these episodes, there's a lot of comedy in the way Luke writes what he's writing. In fact, there, I don't think I, I think I may have forgotten to talk about this. I don't remember, but um, back when the severe persecution broke out, uh, page 40, and y'all don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'll just read this to you. This is uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And uh, it says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, let me read it more literally, what the word apostle means, right? And and you'll get the comedy in it. Now, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except those who were sent out were scattered through the land of Judea and Samaria. Right? So the people who were sent out by Jesus stay, and everybody else goes. Right. So and Luke is expecting his audience to pick up on. Oh, wait, no, wait a minute. Uh, something's there. Same same thing here. Uh, this whole episode with Peter, uh, he, he tells it in such a way that makes the story interesting. Right. It's, it's kind of lighthearted uh, in terms of what's about to happen. And so he says, uh, 12, 6, on the night before Herod was to bring him, Peter, out for execution. Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers <laughs> while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Now, think of, y- y'all remember the, what happened last time they put Peter in prison? Remember? He was coming released there. I have a feeling Herod might have found out about that. Like, this guy ain't getting away again. Right? So not only do they have him guarded on the outside, they have him sleeping, chained, and two guards on either side. 12.7, now suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Um, notice Peter is, Peter is so deep in sleep that and in Greek, uh, this, this translation does a good sense. It says he struck him in the side. In other words, he had, to, he had to really get Peter's attention. He's completely out on the night before they're about to cut his head off. He's just sleeping better than a baby in there, right? He ain't worried about nothing. Um, 
So this angel shakes him. Wake up. Get up quick. Chains fell off his wrist. Uh, 12, 8, get dressed. And the angel told him, and put on your sandals. Uh, and he did so. Wrap, a, wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So Peter has to get up and get dressed. So he went out and followed, but he didn't know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was only seeing a vision. Uh, Luke could have only known that if Peter told him that. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's insight, right? Um, re really cool. Uh, 1210, after they passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. And then they went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all the Jewish people, uh, and from all that the Jewish people expected. So Peter gets it. Oh, man. Okay, I've been set free. Let's go. Uh, 12, 12. Now, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Now, here we go. Another significant person. Uh, this is John Mark. John Mark is going to accompany Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. He's going to leave them. But we may, mainly know him through. This is the John Mark that writes the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so here he comes on the scene. Uh, John Mark uh, was with him uh, and many were assembled and were praying. So more than likely, uh, you know, his family um, is, is, you know, a more affluent family. They've got a house big enough to have a fairly large uh, meeting in, a congregation in there. Notice it mentions Mary, not his father. So more than likely, Mary is, you know, in charge of the household. F the father, the husband's probably died at this point. Uh, so she's probably a widow and has means to take care of others. Uh, 12, 13, so Peter knocks at the door in the gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Uh, Rhoda means rosebush, by the way. Um, so uh, rosebush comes and answers the door and she recognized Peter's voice. And, be and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the doorway, gateway. Uh, I, I love this. Luke, this is the second time Luke has said something like this. Notice he says, because of her joy, she didn't. If, if you remember back when Jesus was resurrected, the night he was resurrected, and he appeared to the disciples, right? And it says there, they saw, but because of their joy, they didn't really believe, right? Sometimes joy can be so overpowering. It's like too good to be true, you know? Uh, so here she is. It's like, I can't believe it. It's Peter. Uh, I love this all. Well, read on and we'll, we'll see what happens here. 12, 15. You're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And then they said, it's only his angel. Um, it, it, the, the Jews believed that everybody had a guardian angel. Uh, and that may be what he, they're referring to here. Uh, in Jewish tradition, they also taught that after somebody died, uh, both their spirit and their guardian angel would often linger around a couple of days before they, you know, before they went. Um, Remember Jesus said, yeah. children, yeah. their angels behold the face, face of the Father. Of Father. That's right. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that he struck yeah. on your side? Yeah. This wasn't a spirit. Yeah, yeah. The right. angel was not a spirit because he popped him to yeah. him up. You'd think the light would have done Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. He actually hit him. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Well, and... 
And, and, and the thing about the scriptures is that's, you know, that's flipped inside out from our understanding of the world is that reality, the root of reality is spiritual, right? Physical is only a manifestation of that which is spiritual. Sounds like the matrix. Right? Yeah, somewhat like it. Yeah. So, so the real power in the universe is not physical. It's spiritual. Right? Earlier, the angel just touched the lock. And it opened. Well, how, I've, I've never been able to do that, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wish I could, but uh, so yeah, yeah, you know, uh, really, really powerful. And so uh, twelve six. Uh, it's, uh, notice the, the thing that I love about this: they think she's crazy. In other words, this is the people that have been praying for Peter to believe, be released, but they don't believe it's actually going to happen, <laughs> right? Now, how many prayer meetings have you been in like that, right? And nothing's changed, right? Keep on praying the same. Well, that ain't, it ain't ever changed. It ain't going to do anything. Um, Twelve sixteen. Peter, however, kept knocking. <laughs> Peter kept knocking. And when the door uh, was, uh, when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astounded. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Now go report these things to James and the brothers, he said. And then he departed and went to a different place. I think this whole episode uh, is simply to lead us right there to 1217, where Jesus says, report these things to James and the brothers, because James is about to become another significant part of the story of Acts big time. Uh, and this is James, that James that he's referring to. This is James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, right? The, the half brother, we'd say, of the Lord Jesus. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk. He's, he's going to be significant. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, so Peter tells him to go tell James and the brothers what have happened. And so he departed and went to a different place. This is, I think, yeah, this is um, last time we hear uh, specifics about what Peter uh, is doing. Now, we're going to hear from him again. He's going to show back up in chapter 15 and so forth. But at, at this point, we're not told where he went or what, what happened. But we do know uh, back on your back on your char uh, map up here, we we do know that at some point Peter went up uh, and spent some years up in northern Asia Minor, uh, up up above where Paul is going to be doing his missionary work. If you notice on your first chart there, and in fact, if you look at all three of those maps, uh, especially if you look at the ones on the back, Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and all the different journeys, you see how they're kind of down in the south of Asia Minor. See that? Well, we, we know from tradition that Peter was actually doing work in the north of Asia Minor. And in fact, there, there is a place in Acts that we're going to get to where Paul is about to go north. And G, the spirit of Jesus tells him, no, 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 no. You don't need to go there. You need to go over here. And I have a sneaking suspicion because Peter is already up there doing some work. So they don't need Paul up there, too. And so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we're not told exactly where Paul, uh, Peter went. At this point, but we do know that he continues on working. And then uh, more than likely, uh, by, by the end, uh, he makes his way to Rome. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later when we get to the later, later chapters of Acts. Um, so then, um, so Peter's been released. They go, uh, they tell the brothers. And then we turn back to Herod for just a minute. We're not quite through with Herod. Uh, 1218. Really wild that he would include this. This is, this is good. Uh, 1218, at daylight, uh, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what uh, could have become of Peter. 
And after Herod had searched and did not find him. So Herod goes in and searches himself. Uh, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution, uh, which, which was Roman, standard Roman practice. If you, if you had a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, then whatever was planned to be done to the prisoner, you got, you, you, that happened to you. Uh, that, would probably, uh, that, would, that would ensure you wouldn't fall asleep at your post, I would imagine. You know? um, so Herod has him executed. And then it says Herod went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and stayed there. Now, Luke could have just stopped right there. You know, that's all we really need to know. But no, let me finish this Herod story right quick. All right. Uh, 1220. Now, he had been very angry with the Tyrians and the Sidonians. Uh, this is Tyre and Sidon, right? Even from the Old Testament era, if you remember those names, they were two enemies of Israel uh, at various times. Uh, and so uh, Herod is all put out with them. Uh, part of what they're doing, more than likely, Josephus, the historian, if you all know that name, Josephus was a Jewish historian that is looked to for some corroboration of events in the first century. He can't fully be trusted because we know that he lied about a lot of things. Um, he, he was a coward and um, made a deal with the Romans to get out of Jerusalem when they destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, right? Left people behind. Anyway, that, that's a whole other story. So some of his things are not exactly trustworthy. But it's interesting that he writes uh, about several of these incidents, and they're very close to what Luke records here. And so uh, we, we know that these things took place. And uh, Josephus tells us that Tyre and Sidon had uh, called an audience before Herod to get relief because of the famine. That, that's part of uh, what they were talking to him about. Uh, and he's, he's all put out with them. Uh, they've had some political issues and different things going on. But notice it says uh, they got together to present themselves. Now they won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. Y'all all remember Blastus, right? Y um, yeah, uh, there he is. One name in the Bible. That's, that's, that's it. That's all we need to know. He's in charge of Herod's bedroom. Okay. Uh, and through him, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. Uh, so on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. He gives this address uh, in Caesarea. And uh, uh, Josephus adds in the detail that he had assembled these groups together in the amphitheater at Caesarea. And as he comes out in his robes, uh, Josephus says that his robes were, were uh, made out of silver, that they were th threaded through with silver. And when he came out in the morning, the sun hit him and he radiated like an angel or something. Right? So he comes out in his glory. And you'll see why that's significant here in just a minute. Uh, 1222, it says, now the assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man, as, as Herod is speaking there. Um, 1223, and at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he became infected with worms and died. Wow, man. Uh, Josephus uh, corroborates this story and he said that, um, and Josephus even says that, um, as Herod made this address, he, um, he did not honor God. When the people said, you're a God, he did not refute that. And because of that, God struck him. He became sick. He fell ill that day with stomach pains and died five days later. Um, 
And it's, and it's, and it's interesting that the Romans uh, thought and, and several of the people groups thought in the first century that it was particularly fit for tyrants to be killed by worms. You know, okay, why, why that? But that's what happens to him. Um, that doesn't sound like a good way to go. I don't know about y'all, but that's, that's, that seems rough. Um, then God's message flourished and multiplied, and they, had complete, uh, and, they, and they had completed their relief mission. Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who is also called Mark. So there he is again, and you know, we've seen him first time, and now he shows up uh, before. This is, this is really interesting. Notice this is to all taking place. Uh, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. And there's definitely, although I don't think Luke is making a big deal about it, if you think about this, this is almost um, um, kind of calling back to the Exodus story where just as God uh, saved Israel from a tyrant, now he's doing the same thing with the church. This tyrant Herod, Lord puts in his place so that now the church can, you know, grow and multiply and be fruitful again. So there's definitely some connections with that, although Luke doesn't make any kind of big deal about it at all. Um, and also you, you kind of get the idea that this is the Lord, you know, making a statement about what all the Herods have done up to this point. You know, this is kind of the exclamation mark of, oh, yeah, OK, this is the last straw. Y'all have done some terrible stuff. And here we go. It was about to be a little payback. So, uh, you know, I was you read this and I, I was talking to somebody recently and, you know, they brought up that thing about, you know, I just don't like reading the Old Testament because you get that God of wrath and everything in there. And I think, well, you hadn't really read the Old Testament because that's not in there a whole lot. There's a lot more grace and mercy than there is that if you read through the Old Testament, you don't get his grace then you're missing everything altogether. And, they, you know, it's like, I, I like that God of the New Testament who's all lovey-dovey and flowers and kisses. And I think, well, you had not read the New Testament, right? The Lord will not hesitate to smote somebody and have to say, Adonis and Sapphira, right? Um, the Lord, you know, boy, you read, uh, you read 2 Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, about the return of the Lord Jesus. And if that doesn't part your hair and give you a minute to pause, man, uh, the Lord takes things seriously, you know, and, and especially things related to him, not giving glory to him. That'll get you smoke quicker than anything else, you know. And so Herod, um, he, he gets it. All right? The Lord makes his point. Um, so there you go. That's the end of that chapter 13. We're really going to shift over into the missionary journeys uh, in a big kind of way. Anybody have any questions or comments on any of that that we just read? Man, we're doing good. I can't believe it. We're actually making our way through Acts. Who would have thought? Uh, anybody questions or, or comments on any of that? All right, let's go. Acts 13. Good stuff. This is really start to pick up some speed and a lot of, lot of, lot of uh, exciting things happening here. So Acts 13.1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, so we're going back to Antioch now. It's already been introduced. Uh, right, A lot of uh, uh, preaching, gospel work's been done up there. But also, it says in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas. That's the Barnabas that, that we know. That's with Saul. Uh, Simeon, who was also called Niger. Lucius, the Cyrenian. Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. So there's Barnabas and Saul with these other prophets and teachers. And that's really interesting that they mention them as prophets and teachers, right? Um, not the apostles, right? 
We had the apostles in the first part of the book of Acts. And now we're getting to the prophets and the teachers. And it's really interesting. If you go over and you read Acts, um, uh, Ephesians 4, Paul talks about four gifted types of people that the, that the Lord has given to his church to equip his people for the work of service. It's the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And so we're starting to see those people show up in Acts, uh, those, those types of people. And so Barnabas and Saul are part of that list. Uh, Simeon, who is also called Niger there, uh, and also Lucius the Cyrenian, uh, both of those are probably men from northern Africa, right? So these are dark-skinned fellows, if you say it that way. So already we are seeing that the church is becoming this multicultural right, reality, that, it, that it's really starting to push past you know, some of the ethnic lines that was contained within Judaism and whatnot. So really, really interesting. 13.2, it says, Now as they were ministering or, or serving of the Lord, uh, that's a really interesting word there. Um, it, it means to give public service to somebody. So this probably means that they are, um, you know, serving the Lord in a public way, right? Ministering to the Lord in a public way, uh, serving him in a public way and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So here we go. This is this is the beginning of these missionary journeys. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. Three two, it says uh, that the Holy Spirit said to them, said to the church, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. I'm always fascinated at how that happened. Right. Did one of the prophets receive that message? And he, you know, Paul, Paul talks about in first Corinthians that if you, you know, in your church meeting and you get together and somebody gets together and they may have a prophetic word. Right. Well, that person should get up and speak, but it should be only accepted if the other prophets agree with it. Right. So in other words, you couldn't just have one person getting up and saying, well, the Lord told us to do this. You would have to have all of those who had the prophetic gift to say, yeah, that's what the Lord is saying. You understand what I'm saying? And so I have a feeling that that's why Luke mentions the prophets and the teachers here, because there are people here as the, as the Holy Spirit uh, speaks this message to them. There are people there that confirm, yeah, this is exactly what the Lord wants us to do. Right. And, and, and I say that because, you know, a, a lot of groups, uh, particularly those who've been on the Pentecostal side of the movement of Christianity, they sometimes you get into these really wacky things that people do. You know, they get these words. I, 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 man, all throughout my life, I get somebody that says, you know, hey, the Lord has given me a word for you, you know, and they'll tell me something that the Lord wants me to do. And my response is always, well, that's funny because he didn't tell me that. <laughs> I hadn't heard from him on that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We're always saying, I have a word from the Lord. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you you know what? Every word that anybody has ever said they had a word for the Lord from me, it was always something that benefited them. (laughs) I never quite got my mind around that, you know? Uh, Really interesting. (laughs) Well, I didn't have much of that. Yeah, uh, for sure. That, on, that, that, only worked, that, that only worked one time, and she's sitting right back there, and I tricked her into that, you know. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, so this, this is a really, uh, you, you, you see the dynamics of the early church here, Holy Spirit leading them. Uh, these people are guiding. They do what, what they're told to do. Uh, they pray. They, they lay their hands on them. The, the laying on of hands, we talked about that earlier, is both a recognition and an endorsement, you know. Uh, you know, it, it's literally, you know, you're touching somebody and you're like, we're, we're with you in this. You know, we're, we're, as y'all go, we're with you. And so that'll, you know, we'll, we'll see that a couple more times too. So here they're fasting. This is one of the only, um, play, one of the only two places that fasting is mentioned uh, about the early church here in 13.3. And then another time it'll be mentioned in 14.23. So, you know, Luke, Luke tells us some of the uh, details, but we're not, you know, told how often they did these types of things or whatever. It seems like uh, it was different depending on which group you were in. And so the Holy Spirit sets them apart. And then let's, let's go ahead and read this. Well, this, this will get us right to where I wanted to get us to today. Uh, let's read 14, uh, 13, 4 through 12. We'll read it and I'll come back and talk a little bit more about it next week. So here, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they came down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Uh, now, remember, Barnabas is from Cyprus. Right? That, that's where his family's from. So more than likely, they're going there because Barnabas has connections there. And so arriving in Salamis, uh, which is one of the port cities uh, on Cyprus, they proclaimed God's message in the Jewish synagogues. Uh, they also had John as their assistant. Right? So John Mark shows up, uh, like he was mentioned earlier. Now, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, uh, right? The son of Jesus. That's what that name means. Or, or probably better, it's the son of Joshua. Because, of course, you know, Jesus is the anglicized form of Jesus' Hebrew name, which is Joshua. It's, it's the same Joshua that you have in the Old Testament. So they come across this Jewish false prophet named uh, Bar-Jesus, Bar-Joshua. And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear God's message. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name. Uh, in other words, Elymas uh, means sorcerer. We're not sure where that comes from. It may be Arabic in origin, um, but not quite sure. Uh, it, well, I mean, it wouldn't be Arabic because that didn't exist fully at that time. But the languages that became Arabic... Um, so here, he, the sorcerer, he comes and he opposes them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That's one of the first times that Christianity is referred to as the faith, right? So, you know, this is the, like the way, the faith, Christians. These are people who adhere to a certain set of beliefs, right? We, we share a, a certain faith in common, a certain set of beliefs in common. 13.9. Oh, here we get, we get our first dose of Paul. Uh, here we go. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at the sorcerer and said, you son of the devil. Right. So his name is son of Joseph. I'm, I'm so son of Joshua. Uh, here, Paul calls him you son of the devil. Right. <laughs> uh, full of all deceit and all fraud. Enemy of all righteousness. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. And suddenly a mist and a darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Does that sound familiar? 
anybody else that got struck blind for a time and, you know, until they can wake up? Really interesting. The first thing that Paul does is the first thing that was done to him by Jesus, at least that we've heard so far, right? <laughs> uh, three, you can see the humor in that, right? Uh, 312, then the proconsul, seeing what had happened, believed and was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Now, we're going to come back to Sergius Paulus next week. We're, we're going to tie him into some things that are going to happen because they're going to leave here, uh, Cyprus, and they're going to go up into uh, uh, the other Antioch. And we'll talk about why that's so to begin with. Um, again, a lot, lot more to say about that. But the one thing I do want to mention, notice 13.9, that's where we get Paul for the first time. And uh, Paul, uh, that, that name uh, means the little one. Right? And a lot of people think that that might have been a nickname that was given to him, you know, by his family or friends or whatever. And we know that more than likely Paul was a shorter man in Corinthians. He talks about, you know, I'm not a man of any stature that anybody would look at me and think I'm anybody great. So uh, more than likely, that is his um, that is his uh, Roman name, his Roman nickname that he probably had. Uh, almost all Jews in the first century had their Hebrew name, Saul. But they would also have their Roman name that they would use, you know, when they were dealing with the Romans or, or whoever it is that they were dealing with. Uh, one really, you know, oh, this is going to be such a great thing to end them. I'm going to tell you this and then I'm going to pray and we're going to go home. Uh, one scholar, uh, Ben Witherington, talks about this in his, in his uh, commentary. And, and again, notice uh, Paul, Paulus, right, right here. Right. Sergius Paulus, Paul the Apostle. Right. So it's, it's interesting that they share a, a, a common name. But uh, one scholar says that probably the reason that Paul used that name and not his Hebrew form, if you turn the Hebrew form Saul into uh, the Latin Greek form, it would be Saulos. Right. And that word in Greek and Latin sounds just, it's, it's a homonym for a Latin word. Now I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to quote this to you. That the Latin word means, this is someone who walks in the, wa in the wanton way of prostitutes. So if he were called Salos, that would be a nickname of, that's a guy who prances around like a prostitute. Right? So you can see, I think we're going to go with Paul. Paulos, I think that's a better deal there. Uh, uh, whether or not that factors in at all, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, y'all, so right there, we're, we're going to pick up next week. Oh, and, and let me also say this. Notice Saul doesn't get renamed by Jesus, right? This is, this is not one of those God renaming things. And so more than likely, this was his other name that he had had for most of his life. You know, so now as, he, as he's moving into Gentile territory, they're going to call him Paul. Uh, and, and so that, you know, that, that makes sense uh, in terms of what's going on here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have a lot more about Paul, clearly. We're going to read a lot about him, but I'm going to give you some background stuff as we go. Now, anybody, any questions or comments on that as we take a break here? Man, I can't believe it. Every week we've been getting to exactly the point I want to get to. Um, unbelievable. Anybody on, on that? All right, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll turn loose and get on out of here. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and provide for us. We pray that you would uh, continue to encourage us and build us up and all the things that we're doing here together as we study your word. Uh, the main goal 
is so that we will love you uh, with everything that we are. And so, Father, I pray that as we work through all of these details and the ins and outs, that ultimately we will see your goodness and your grace and your uh, sovereign moving of all of these different people and elements and, and even history itself to bring about your greater uh, and glorious purposes, uh, some of which we can't even get our minds around right now. And so we, we, we thank you that you've revealed these things to us and we pray uh, that they would have their effect in our lives to make us more faithful and to um, continue to put our utter faith and trust in you. And we ask all this for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen.